Hey, good morning, and welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. Whether you are watching the video at faithonhill.com or on our Facebook, or you're listening to the audio podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast, we are glad that you are with us wherever and whenever you are joining us. We release uh, podcast content. We have a Bible teaching podcast, and we have a new long-form conversational podcast that will be coming out soon. Uh, and you just have to search Faith on Hill on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and the video is released on our Facebook uh, for all of the non-Sunday uh, mornings. Our website does have the live stream on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Uh, we also have audio versions of our podcasts on our website as well if you don't want to use either of those podcast platforms. We gather together as a group on Sunday mornings, where we pray, we worship in song, we study God's word together, we connect with each other in life-giving community, and then throughout the week, we meet in small groups, and we have small groups that meet throughout the week. We have one Sunday morning, we have one Tuesday night for young adults, we have a Wednesday night, one on Zoom, and we are looking to see if, if there's need for another small group, and so maybe you're not in a small group and you say, I'd like to be in one, but none of the current times work. Uh, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com to let us know what would work. And if you are interested in joining one of the current ones, you could also email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. We're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, you can open to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. It is important to remember that the Bible we read it like a few verses at a time, or chapter one, and then we're done for the day. Chapter two is tomorrow. Chapter three will be two days from now. And, and we have a way of reading it that wasn't necessarily how it was originally intended. In some places, it is that way. For example, the Psalms, chapter one versus chapter two, were meant to be sort of separate entries. But in something like the Gospel of Matthew, they would have read it from start to finish, and especially in these discourses or teachings of Jesus, and there are five sections like that in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in the first one, the Sermon on the Mount, which goes from chapter 5 through chapter 7. So we could be, hey, we're three, four weeks into the Sermon on the Mount, and you go, well, this is its own thing, but it's really not. It's all a connected teaching. Jesus starts out in the Beatitudes. This is the supreme blessings of God, and then he goes into this idea, oh, you want to get into the kingdom of heaven? You want to live in the supreme blessings of God? Then your righteousness, your holiness, your purity needs to be more than the holiest person who's ever lived. And so we look at that and say, well, my goodness, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven then? The answer is only through Jesus, because none of us can be good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so somebody comes up and says, oh, I think I'm good enough, or I think I know someone who is a holy enough person on their own to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus teaches there about, oh, you think you are so holy. You think you have the, the goods to get in. Let me tell you. And he begins to teach about uh, murder and divorce and uh, oaths and all these things that people use to like benchmark their righteousness. And he says, really? You think you're good enough? I'm going to show you that you're not. And then, uh, last week, we talked about, okay, 
God wants us to live in the supreme blessings. He wants us to live in his ways. Well, how do we do that without being hypocrites? How do we do that uh, without falling into like a self-righteousness trap? And so that's the thing that's been building. And it builds to verse 19, chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, whether you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store anything in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. This is God's word. Jesus starts off by saying, do not store up treasure on earth where it will be destroyed, but store up heavenly treasure. The big idea for this morning is eternal investment. Verse 19, Jesus himself says, everything you own will be destroyed. Everything you own will be destroyed. We are some of the richest people on the planet. And what happens is we look at people like Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or whoever, and we say, can you believe how much money they have and how much I don't have? But statistically, if you live in America and you own a car, you are one of the 5% wealthiest people on the planet. Everything we have will be destroyed at some point. I don't know if you've ever been to ruins, places that were once grand and spectacular, and they are reduced to 
rubble. Uh, you know, you go and you see these pictures of, of something that was once great and grand, and then fire happens, flood happens, earthquake happens, just the decay of time happens, and it's gone. And we can look and we can say how great, how grand, how powerful. Even the, the something ancient that still exists, for example, like the pyramids of Giza, we look at them and marvel for their longevity. However, however, the pyramids of Giza, as we understand it, if the original ancient Egyptians saw them today, they would mourn because they did not look like that. They were, uh, you know, you, you talk to historians and archaeologists and Egyptologists, and they will all t show you what, this is what from ancient writings and what we know of construction and all of these things, this is what it would have looked like and it would have been grand and amazing and epic and they would weep for their decay and decline. Everything you own will be destroyed. Your home, your clothes, you will die and your money will not go with you. Everything we own will pass away. That's the beginning truth that Jesus bases this section of his sermon on. But then he says in verse 20, Store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Heavenly investment will remain. I could save all my money and buy the nicest car. I could put all of my effort into acquiring uh, the most prestige. I could put all of my time into building my own empire, and it will fail eventually. Or I can put all my time and investments into others, into things that will last. What does it matter? What does it matter that I make sure my kids have all the money in the world or they have all of the fun in the world or they have all of the whatever and they don't have Jesus. They don't have Jesus. I want my kids, I want my boys to have eternity. I want to invest in eternal things. And everything that we choose to do is an investment. Am I investing in temporary things or am I investing in eternal things? Now, if you are somebody who is involved in finances, you can understand this concept. The world is, I mean, the world's dumb, but it's not dumb, right? That if you were to talk to a financial investing, you know, advisor, somebody who is very successful with their money, and you talk about appreciating versus depreciating assets. If you don't know what that means, it's okay, I'm going to explain it. Okay, if you buy a house, generally speaking throughout the history of America, that is an appreciating asset. My, you know, your house is almost always worth more than you bought it for. Now, there are exceptions. A lot of people were underwater in 2008, 2009, and it took them years to recover, but they did recover. I know of people who were underwater in their house 
And then, you know, five years later, they were back to having more equity in their house than they had had at the start. That's an appreciating asset. It increases in value. A depreciating asset is a brand new car, right? The moment that you drive your car off the lot, you immediately have just lost like 20% of its value, like that. Again, there are exceptions. I've heard of people who bought a car in 2019 and then sold it back to a dealer for actually more than it's worth just because of the supply shortages going on. But generally speaking, this is true. It's why I don't buy new cars. I always buy a used car because the moment you drive it off the lot, there's a depreciation in value. That's what Jesus is talking about. So if you think this is some like anti-finance, anti-economics rant. Jesus is just speaking in smart economic terms. You can invest in things that increase in value, that hold your value, or you can invest in things that lose your value. You know, you can go and you can, you know, purchase something or invest in something or put your time or your life into something that will grow. Or you can put all of your time into something that's just going to pass away. I've done a lot of funerals over the years. It's kind of a morbid reality of my existence is that a part of what I do in my calling and my life is helping people to process the loss of a loved one. I have done a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals because sometimes as a pastor, you know, you aren't the one asked to do it, but maybe it's somebody who you know or somebody in the church who's lost a loved one and so you go to wherever the funeral is for their loved one to be there to support them. So I have heard a lot of eulogies. I have heard a lot of, hey, we're going to have a time where people can share memories. I have heard all of these things. And you'll hear somebody who poured their life into other people. Somebody who stood and, and lived a life that was building up others, building up community, building up the world around them. You know, you hear stories of, of, I remember going to a funeral of a guy named Wild Bill. That was, I mean, his name wasn't literally legally Wild Bill, but that's what everybody called him. And Bill was this guy who had been um, heavily into drugs, alcohol, uh, the whole thing. He was, he was literally like a hippie from the 70s. And he became a Christian in the mid-90s. And, you know, part of his journey, and, and he got, uh, became a Christian, got sober, the whole thing. And he devoted his life to serving Jesus. Nobody ever heard of this guy. But because of his kind of hippie ways, you know, he would just, sometimes he would just live in his car, but he'd, it wasn't like he was like homeless because he had no choice. It was like, I can live in my car, and then I can go, he would go, you know, work. He was an uh, older guy, but he was in good shape, and so he'd go work as a carpenter, and he would, instead of pay, putting the money into a house, he would go um, and and give it to something else. Um, he'd hear about some Christian camp in the middle of nowhere that needed work, and so he would quit his carpenter job, drive his car out to their work on it, that kind of thing. I'm giving examples. I met him because I was on an uh, evangelistic outreach trip in the summer of 2003, and he came out to be sort of our cook for the thing, free of charge, just came out and did it, and then, you know, we were done. He went back and got working on carpentry again. He died, tragically. He had gone out to one of these projects, and as he was coming back to Seattle, where he was from, he was uh, really tired, and he just said, this isn't safe. So he pulled his car off to the side of the road just to, like, 
get a little power nap in. And as he was asleep, a, uh, a truck driver who had, uh, I, I don't remember, it's been 20 years, so I don't remember uh, exactly the circumstance, but uh, the truck driver uh, was either, you know, was intoxicated or something and plowed his semi-truck into Bill's little car going like 80, 90 miles an hour and he was just killed instantly. At his funeral, right, this is a guy that didn't have much to his name, didn't, didn't own much, but people came and shared the ministry, the, the ministry that Bill had done. And he was a man who had invested in eternity. You've never heard of him. You might remember a few weeks ago, Jesus was saying about John the Baptist that of any person born up until that point in history, there was none greater than John the Baptist. Because that's how God sees the world. People that are not known, people that you, you just go, well, they didn't do anything great. They didn't go to the moon. They, they didn't build an empire. They didn't construct buildings or forge new technologies. And yet, here's a guy like Bill who invested in people and invested in eternal things. According to Jesus, he died a wealthy man. Now, then Jesus gets into this thing about the light or the lamp of the eyes and the body. And it might seem disconnected. But what Jesus is saying is this, and it, it, it's whenever you get something like the lamp, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body, and you're like, what is that? Almost always, remember, we are translating into modern English from first century Greek or from ancient Hebrew, if you're in, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Some things translate well, some things do not. Um, even in English, because I've spent enough time in other parts of the world where English is spoken, but they use a different dialect, essentially, of English. And so it's like, wait, what does that mean? Uh, what are you saying? Because it's so regionalized or localized within the dialect that uh, it needs translating. And I have literally translated English from one English speaker to another because, you know, it was somebody from Southern California talking to somebody from, like, you know, rural England or Scotland or something, and they're like, wait, what's going on? And I've literally had to translate. This is what they mean. When you have something like this, it almost always means that it's an idiom, it's a phrase, it's an expression, it's a colloquialism, something that just doesn't translate well. But the idea that Jesus is getting at is this, that I live in sort of the light of this world because of my eyes, my eyesight. And so I can enjoy, you know, the beauty of this world around me, the whole thing. Now, imagine how many of you wear glasses or know people that wear glasses. Imagine what it would be if, if you lived in a time where that sort of technology did not exist. My mom is not blind without her glasses, but she couldn't drive a car. My mom's eyesight is really terrible. And so, uh, you know, if she had lived back in Jesus' day, she would have been functionally blind. She would have had very dim eyes. Uh, she would have been just incredibly limited in what she could do. And it's been that way since she was my age. Um, so I, I go get these regular screenings on my eyes uh, just to make sure that like, I don't uh, go down a similar road. But Jesus is saying, hey, if your eyes are working fully, like you see everything, you understand what's going on. But if your eyes go dim or dark, which is what they would have referred to going blind as, uh, then, you know, then it's you, you just kind of live in that shroud of darkness. So what he's saying is, 
if you are putting, if you, if you are filling your life with the light of the kingdom of heaven, you will live in that light. But if you are filling your life with the darkness of this world, then you will live in that darkness. And he makes an interesting say, thing. He says, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what he's saying is, if you think that the light that you live in is truth, that's how great you are deceived. Remember, at the beginning of this sermon, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they're the person who recognizes their situation and their need for salvation. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Those who recognize their need for the light of God will receive it. But those who think that they are walking in truth and in wisdom and in goodness and in doing the right things, but they're walking in darkness, how much more darkness are they in? Because they are deceived themselves. So what Jesus is saying is, there's a certain way that the world tells you to live. And there's a, a real, a truthful way that God has set forward. And you can choose to either walk in that darkness or walk in that light. You can choose to invest in that darkness or invest in that light. Now, somebody might say, Adam, is Jesus saying then that I should sell everything I have and I should basically live like Wild Bill out of my car and I, I've got a couple kids so I should put my kids in the back seat and that's where you can sleep and all this thing. Jesus goes into what I would call real talk ab about living in this world and about the provisions that we need, whether it's food or finances. Verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Okay, original audience. You've heard me talk about this before. The Bible was not written to you or to me directly. Now, it is true for you and me directly. But who was the original audience? Because that matters to help understand context and intention and meaning. Somebody could say the same words speaking to one person and then say the same words speaking to another, and we would understand it has very different meaning. I could say one thing to my kids and one thing to the president, and it, and it would understand from context it would have different implications. The original audience is an agrarian society. They are subsistence farmers and gatherers. If you don't catch fish that day, you don't eat. If the rains don't come and your crops don't grow, you starve. If, if a snow comes, and snow does come to Israel, right? Like that happens, and, and all of a sudden, you know, frost damages everything, you are in trouble. Everything that they had was, was largely things out of their control. You know, you live in this, in this small corner of the Mediterranean. You're at the crossroads of Asia, Africa, and Europe. And you hear about armies from the south in Africa or Ethiopia coming north. 
You hear about armies from the east in Mesopotamia and Persia coming west. You hear about armies from the west, from Greek, the Greek armies or the Roman armies coming east. What can you do about that? What can you do about that? Right now, as I'm recording, our world is in a time of uncertainty. The rumors of war are abounding. Honestly, when this releases Sunday morning, I don't know where we will be. Last Sunday morning in church, as a church, when we prayed together, and that's something, if you don't come on Sunday mornings, one of the really cool things we do is we pray together in our service. And we prayed for the peace of Ukraine last Sunday. I know two pastors uh, directly uh, who are pastoring in cities in the Ukraine. And I also, um, the, vice princi- uh, the principal of my middle school, uh, I'm still Facebook friends with him. He's a Christian man. And he has since moved on from being a school principal to running um, basically missions work. But he essentially goes and he establishes good schools in the Ukraine because, you know, in Eastern Europe, it's, it's the poverty level is pretty high. And so he takes his, his experience as an educator and he goes to the Ukraine and he's been going for like 30 years. But then after he stopped being an educator here in America, he established these schools so that kids in the Ukraine could have a good education and, and have a potential for a bright future. And, and because he can go and establish them, they also hear to learn the Bible and learn about Jesus, and there's these great things. So I've been messaging with him this week, too. Even though he's American-based, he's in touch with what's going on. He told me it's 50-50. This is a guy with decades of experience working in the Ukraine, and he has connections all over the country. And because of his work with education, he has connections within their government. He says it's 50-50. You know, one, one pastor there is was saying, you know, I don't know, we'll see. And another pastor is like, oh, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. And then he sends me a message. Locals are freaking out now. So what's going on? What Jesus is saying, and this is a word, I think, to us in our day, with uncertainty, with doubt. We have the pandemic that's, it, we're, we're on the other side of the bell curve, but there's still uncertainty. You know, I thought we were going to come out of this thing with the vaccinations and everything last summer, and then all of a sudden Delta hit. Well, you know, we... You look at the numbers, and the numbers of of hospitalizations and death rates are going down. It looks like we're going to get the mass restrictions lifted in the middle of March. Like, all of these things are coming, and you say, oh, but there's that mistrust. What happens if if Delta II happens? You know, what happens if we all, it all resets? Our economy is is in precarious situations. There's all these things that are going on that could cause worry, and could cause panic. And there are things beyond our control, just like with these farmers and fishermen and hunters and gatherers. You can only control what you can control. So Jesus is saying to them, hey, which one of you by worrying has added a day to your life? In fact, worry is a cause of taking away days from your life. Stress what it does to your body, what it does to your heart, and, and, and all of these things that keep us healthy. It's not good. I remember I was about 25 years old, and there were all kinds of things happening in my life that were outside of my control. And true story, I was a missionary, 100% dependent on people contributing uh, so that I could do missions work in Europe. And there was a month, I remember this month, where 
I, we were $500 short of what I needed to live. Not just like, you know, have a surplus. Like I was $500 short of the bare minimum. Just for whatever reason, giving hadn't been as high that month. And I had a panic attack one night. And, and I was freaking out. And I had to pray and pray and pray through that night because I was just going through a, a, a panic, what I now know is a panic attack. And the next morning, as I was kind of recentering and recovering, I said, Lord, I trust you. I don't ever want to do that again. I don't ever want to lose my trust in you like that again. And I'm not s shaming anyone who deals with anxiety because there are clinical reasons why people deal with anxiety. And I believe in medication. I believe in counseling. I believe in all of these things. I've said this before. I will say this again. We take care of our physical bodies by going to physical medical doctors, right? We should take care of our emotional health if we need to by talking to people who are experts in mental and emotional health. We should take care of our spiritual health in the same way. I believe that we are triune creatures. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. And we should take care of the health of all of those things. But my panic attack wasn't caused by a, a larger anxiety issue. It wasn't caused by a chemical imbalance. It was caused by fear and doubt in my own heart. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to do that again. Help me to not do that again. Day later, I get an email that somebody out of nowhere who has no idea who I am has given money, and I actually ended the month ahead, even though I had started 500 in the hole. That was the provision of God. I wasted a whole night of agony and literal physical pain when I could have just trusted in God's provision. And I'll tell you, there's been other times in my life where things have been like, what's going to happen? It's not always like, am I going to be able to pay the bill? It's, uh, you know, am, uh, is my job going to be here? I remember 2008, <laughs> right? Like, I'm old enough to remember wondering, am I going to have a job at the end of this year because of the economy? And having, in 2005, went through that whole ordeal, there are so many things since then, in the next, the last 17 years since then, where I have been able to have peace because I know that God provides. So I can focus on building my earthly kingdom and making sure that I am just set or I can trust that God's going to take care of me and I can focus on pouring into things that last. Now, again, somebody might say, Adam, are you saying that I should just not care about anything? and that I shouldn't save for retirement, and that I shouldn't put money into a college fund for my kids or whatever. No, I'm not saying that at all. No, what I'm saying is that God will take care of us. I also think you have to look at the rest of Scripture. Jesus, we talked about this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I have seen people do incredibly foolish things in their life and tried to justify it with what I call God talking, getting all spiritual sounding, but it's all just nonsense. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. We put money into our retirement fund every month. We, uh, you know, we, we're not going to like go, oh, it doesn't matter, you know. Like we, we, we try to make sure that like, hey, you know, I want to make sure that my kids like, I, I know that Jesus just says clothes don't matter. And at the same time, like, I'm not going to like dress my kids in like, 
rags, you know. I want to make sure that they have warm clothes and they're, they're the right provision. This is all, you know, this idea that you could take this thing and just get foolish with it. There are things that I worry about all the time. And I have to go back to these verses that I don't help myself or anybody else by doing anything other than trusting God. And at the same time, the scripture also says if you don't work, you don't eat. So I have seen people who have like literally just stopped working and said, God's going to provide for me. It's like, you are a fool. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do all these things so that, you know, you can do what you're going to do. I'm not going to test the Lord my God, but I'm also going to trust him. And I can look around the news and I can see war drums on the horizon, what the Bible calls rumors of war. I can see economic challenges on the horizon. I think the pandemic is almost over, but I see all the scars and divisions that it's caused. And I can worry and worry and worry, or I can say, Lord, I trust you. I see the spiritual health of my community, and it's bad. And I can give up hope, or I can say, God, I trust you. I'm not going to put you to the test, God. I'm not going to do foolish things. Like, I'm not going to, you know, you hear about, there was this thing where pastors could opt out of paying social security tax, and it was like a short-term gain. And then what happened was uh, a bunch of pastors who did that back in the 80s got to retirement age and realized they have no retirement. That was just foolish. I'm not going to do foolish things like that. And at the same time, there are times when I, I, I look at people that I know who are incredibly successful. I've talked about this before, but for whatever reason, growing up in Seattle, where and when I did, um, I've known incredibly successful people, famous people, wealthy people, people who have built things, people who have created things, people that you might even know, people who have also shipwrecked their lives spiritually, and in some cases emotionally and mentally as well, because they have walked in the darkness of this world, and they have invested in the things that are passing away. And it won't matter. This is the tension. We can't serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I think this is talking about way more than money. But Jesus specifically calls out money. Money is a great tool and it is a terrible God. It can be used for things to build up others to further the kingdom of heaven. But if I follow it as a God and all that I want is the collection and the accumulation of wealth, it will fail me. But remember, Jesus is speaking to one culture and one audience, let's expand it to our day. Because money is part of it, absolutely. And, and there are people who are just so tight-fisted with their money and they won't do anything for anyone else and they just oh, hoard and build and I'm going to only, and, and if I do spend it, it's going to be on me. But it's not just that. There's others who don't make a lot of money, but their investment is career-based. Everything is about my career. Everything is about advancing me or whatever. And yes, I choose not to make a lot of money because of a choice or whatever, but everything that I have is about my career or my education or uh, focusing on what... Uh, I was talking to a pastor who... Uh, he pastors back on the East Coast 
And where he pastors, a lot of Division I college basketball players come out of that area. So the big thing is if your kid is at any kind of athletic talent is get them on these select basketball teams that travel all over. And then you have, that's the only way that you have a shot at getting them a scholarship to a good school. And then, of course, the goal is to play in the NBA. But if nothing else, hey, I can get my kid into a good school. But he says the truth is that only a small handful of those kids get that scholarship. And only one out of every 10,000 of those kids make it to the league. You know, I said a minute ago, I've known a lot of people that have had great success or fame. But you know what was interesting to me? I was thinking about this the other day. Out of all of the really talented athletes I've known, I knew a few guys that were talented enough to go on and play college football or college basketball. I knew guys that were drafted into the minor leagues. And out of all of the people that I knew, there was one guy, one guy who went on to pray, play professional sports or gal because I knew a bunch of very talented uh, uh, female athletes as well. And, they, and some of them really you know, made attempts to go and, and make the WNBA. And I've known people that have had WNBA tryouts and all that. So it's a, but out of all of those people, one guy made it to the majors. He made it to Major League Baseball for like two weeks. And then he was sent back down to the minors and never seen again. The point I'm making is whether it's money or career or advancement or education. Remember I said a minute ago about that pastor on the East Coast. This is what he says happens because he says, I've been there long enough that, you know, 10 years ago there's this family and then they stop coming to church because they got to get their kids on these select teams and the select teams play on Saturdays and Sundays. And so they don't come to church for like 10 months. And then there's like two months here or there where they show up to church, you know, Easter, Christmas, a few other things. And then they're back on the select teams. And then he says, I've been around long enough. I've seen cycles of this, not just once, but multiple cycles of this where the family comes and the kid's now like 25, 26, not following Jesus at all. And they're like, I don't get it. Why does my kid not have faith? One of the greatest memes of all time, in my opinion, is there's a meme that says, family with nominal church attendance shocked by their middle schoolers' lack of faith. They poured in and they invested into earthly things at the cost of eternal things. And I don't say this to shame or condemn anyone, but I say this as a real challenge. What am I investing in for eternity? I can't serve two masters. I can either serve God or I can serve money. I can either serve God or I can serve my career. I can serve God or I can serve my educational goals. I can serve God or I can uh, serve my own uh, pastime or hobby goals. Oh, I don't go to church because I'm communing with God on Sundays when I go fishing. Just wasting my life. Voting is great. I put all my time and all my effort into politics. I've seen people give and volunteer for political causes who have never once, you know, put their hand up to say, I can help with something, you know, in ser involving serving God. Voting's great. You should vote. There's an election this fall. I vote. That's what I do. It's my, it's like, there's not too much we're asked of as Americans, really, when you think about it. And so, hey, it's time to vote on something. I try to vote. But no human savior will save us. No, no career will come with you into eternity. It's a return on investment question. 
Am I investing into things that are eternal that matter? And I believe that can be in the form of people, in the form of, of ministry, in the form of whatever and, and that is, is for others and the kingdom of heaven. Or I can invest in things that will fade away, be destroyed, and it won't matter. And that's the challenge for all of us. Where are we placing our time, our energy, our focus, yes, our money, and our passion. Jesus' kingdom is coming and it will last forever. That's where I want to be. And that's the invitation for us this morning is to walk in the kingdom of God. It will not pass away. Let's pray together. If anything I said this morning makes you feel condemned, I want you to know that that was not the intention. God loves you. And I do not stand in any kind of judgment on any other person. If what I said this morning was challenging, that's from God. And we all have to wrestle with it. So I want to, in our prayer, as we close our time this morning, I just want to pray this over you and for you as we go to God together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to be on your team, to invest in your kingdom. Lord, I pray for any who are condemned that you would free them of that burden. Let them know your grace, your love, the lightness of your load. I pray for any who walk in darkness that you would reveal light and truth to them. I pray for any of us who are challenged that you would, through your spirit, move so that we would act on that challenge. Lord, I pray that you would show us how do you want us to invest in eternal things? How do you want us to be part of things that will always last and always matter? I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God go with you this week. May the grace of God be evident in your life. May the power of God through the Holy Spirit be full and present in your day as you move about this world in the victory of Christ. God bless you. Jesus loves you. We'll see you this week in the small groups and next week as we gather together again to continue to study God's word.